I'm going to be reading here out of John chapter 1 from the New King James Version. If you don't have that version or a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of that light, of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace In truth, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you on this Christmas Eve for the gift of your word, and more than just your written word, we thank you for your word that was made flesh. You're a God who's come near to us. So I pray in these short moments that we have left together that you would use me to communicate your heart for your holiday. We ask God that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, be present and use me for your glory. We ask for ears to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So again, for the short few moments that we have left here on this afternoon, I would like to preach to you a short Christmas Eve message today entitled, The Heart of Christmas. The Heart of Christmas. You know, there's a big difference between what something is and what something actually means. This is often how Jesus would live his life and and operate in a lot of the conversations he had with people. People would often come to Jesus with basic kind of surface level sayings and questions about God and about faith. And we see Jesus would often respond to the question with deeper questions. They would say, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life and go to heaven? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Who are you talking to? Do you know who you're talking to? This is often how Jesus would respond, because it's been said, and we understand Jesus knew this, that the heart of every matter is the matter of the heart. Not just what's being said, but what is actually being meant, what's behind what's being said. And you've experienced this firsthand, I'm sure, haven't we? Ever had someone say something to you that, you know, what they said was fine, it's what it was, but you kind of like, you heard it, and then you kind of double took, and you were like, what did you mean by that? Like recently, I'll give you an example. I was officiating a wedding a couple 
a couple weeks ago, and, and after this wedding service, somebody came up to me and said, that was entertaining. And I said, you're welcome. What do you mean by that, you know? And sometimes we can feel that way. Someone might say something, but what is is not always the same as what means. I can't help but think of one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time. It's the double rainbow all the way across the sky video. Have you ever seen this? You have to be one of the 45 million viewers, one of you at least. It's a video of a man at Yosemite Park filming a double rainbow, and he's crying looking at this thing. And he goes, a double rainbow all the way across the sky. And then there's this point, it's probably the most iconic point in the video, is when he says, what does it mean? It's a great question. What does it mean? He was searching for maybe some hidden message. Well, um, there is no hidden message to Christmas. It's not a hidden message. It's not something you have to decode to figure out. It's as simple as a baby being born in a manger, a savior coming. But what John is trying to help us get a grip on is what Christmas means. Most of us know what it is. We know that a Savior's been born. We know that Jesus was born. You know, most of us know the reason for the season. We know the story, but what's at the heart of Christmas? So, like I said, John's gospel is explaining that. And if we could summarize what we just read, if we could give a summary to what John says is the heart of Christmas, it may be this sentence. Here's the heart of Christmas, according to John. It's that God has come near through Jesus Christ. That God has come near through Jesus Christ. And he explains this a few ways. Um, he, he begins where probably any explanation of this should begin. He begins where he says in verse 1, in the beginning. In the beginning. Uh, John starts with this simple assertion and foundation, first and foremost, that there is a God. That's where he starts. A great place to start. In fact, this is reflective. The language there in John 1.1 is reflective of the first book and the first verse in the whole Bible, which says, in the beginning, God. And here John is kind of in that same rhythm and rhyme, and he's saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He begins by simply saying, there is someone who's unlike anyone you've ever met. And no one's seen him at any time, but there is a God. There's a God. And he gives us first about this God, he gives us this God's information. He gives us kind of the specs of, of, of who this God is and what he's like. And the first thing he tells us is that this God is the word. The word. Now there's so much meaning to this. In the Greek, it's the word logos, from which we get any sort of study or, or field of science. You have theology and biology. You have the logos. You have the knowledge of. You have the study of. You have the information of. You even have the logo. You have logos today, which simple little icons, like a Facebook symbol or a little half-eaten apple. All you got to do is look at that logo, and all of a sudden it says something to you. It's an image. It's a revelation. And this is what John begins by giving us God's information. He says, this is God. God is the word. God, word. Now, for Hebrew culture, ancient Israel, they understood God this way. In fact, this is often what they would call God. They would call God the word. The word. What is this saying about God? This is speaking to God's nature and personality. This God he's talking about is a God, I love this, who's not shy, but he uses words. He doesn't hide himself. He doesn't conceal who he is. He's a God of word. He's a God who makes himself 
known. Like there might be someone in your life that you've really tried to get to know, but you can't because they use so few words. And you're kind of like prying and getting to know them. Who are you? What are you like? Well, the Bible would teach that God is not that way. You don't have to pry to get to know what God is like and who he is. He is the word. He's made himself known. He's communicated who he is. This speaks also to the nature of how God is a relational being. Not a distant, far-off, aloof creator that kind of lives somewhere out past Neptune or something. Kind of set all things into motion. This is called deism. Created everything like you kind of set up your Legos and then walked away. This is a God who's relational, who exists even in his nature, Father, Son, and Spirit. He exists in a relationship. This is the God who's the Word. He goes on to say, not only is he the Word, he's not shy, he speaks. He's got a communicative, talkative personality, you could say. But this God is also the originator or the creator of all things, of all things. He says, in the beginning was this God, and then verse 3 says, all things were made through him. This relational God created any and everything your mind can imagine. He's the originator of all life. He's the cause behind the effect. He's the reason why you exist. It's the reason why I exist. This world, our lives, are not some cosmic accident. But there is intelligence and thought and design behind what we have here today. All that we enjoy, from the best foods to the best cultures to the best sights to the best experiences to the greatest relationships, being a parent to being in love, all of the human experience of life, all that we see has been created by a designer. There's a God, this God who is the word. He's the originator of all life. And then verse 4 says, we also got to remember that in him, it says, was life. So he's the originator of all life, but he's also the source of all life. He's what all things have to plug into to get life. He's the one for whom we were all created. It was Augustine who said, our hearts are going to be restless until they find their rest in God. We were created by a relational God for a relational God. In him was life. He's a God of life. All things were made to have life in him. It speaks of the relationship we were created to have with this God. You were not created to be an independent creature, nor was I, an autonomous being left to figure out how to make your way through this life. You were created by a God with a purpose for your life. At the top of that purpose was to know him and enjoy him. It also tells us that this life, verse 4, was the light of men. The light of men. There is this sense of illumination and light that came through the relationship with this God. This word light, it's a metaphor that's used all throughout the scriptures to describe the nature of God. That God is light. Um, and certainly here as John is giving us God's information, he wants us to understand God the same Way Light, it speaks of beauty, it speaks of goodness, it speaks of righteousness. This is about the character of God. It's 1 John 1, 5 that says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He's Anakin before Vader, is what this is saying. That's a joke. Here's what this is saying. That God has no dark side. It says in the book of James, I love this verse, it says that with God there's no shadow. 
He has no shadow because there's no edge or spot of darkness. Who he is is a relational God who created each and every one of us in his image to enjoy him and enjoy life through him. He is a God who's only always good. Only always good. This is who he is. I'm not talking about how life is. That's a different story. This is a theological proposition that John is making. It's God's information. Do not doubt, despite what darkness you've gone through, that God has any darkness in him. He is light. And that light is connected to the life that was meant to be found in him. But then John goes from this information about God and us. He goes to then this detail of God's illumination. This is interesting. He says at the end of verse 4 that God, this God of life and light, it says in verse 5 that this light, look at that, it says it shines in the darkness. It shines in the darkness. Interesting, John's been talking about light and, and, and how valuable it is and how it's a picture of who God is. And, and we all understand the, the benefit of light. We just turned on the lights even now. We could see color. We could see our hands. We could see our neighbor all of a sudden. But now John is saying there's also darkness. And God had to shine light into darkness. This is certainly coming from Genesis 1. Again, in Genesis 1 is the creation narrative where God talks about how God made the light and separated it from the darkness. But John here is not talking about a physical darkness. This light that God is bringing into darkness is coming into, well, it's this metaphor for spiritual darkness. It's used all throughout the New Testament to describe life apart from God. Darkness is not just what those people are and what those people do. Darkness, biblically, is life apart from God. Life lived independently. It's life in the dark without a flashlight. You ever been there, stumbling around in the middle of the night? What a, I think one of the most overlooked advancements of the 21st century is the iPhone flashlight. For those of you who like, don't like iPhones, it's fine, okay? But maybe your phone has it too. But the, for me, it's the iPhone flashlight. Without the iPhone flashlight, I would have a lot more stubbed toes and bumped heads. And my wife would be less happy with me because of my children that I'd wake up in the middle of the night. But nonetheless, it's amazing what light can do in the darkness. But darkness is this metaphor for life apart from God, kind of just stumbling around, trying to get a grip on your purpose, trying to get a grip on your meaning, trying to get a grip on well, maybe even your own moral standards of what it means to be a good person, whatever it may be. John is talking about how God has illuminated that darkness. You see, when you study the scriptures further, you understand there's this explanation to that darkness that we feel. It's a darkness that the Bible teaches we're all naturally born into. It's a darkness none of us were created for, but it's a darkness that we experience because of something called sin. Rebelling against God, turning away from God, it's a fall that occurred years before we were born, but that we are all connected to, created for light, but we have fallen into darkness. And the only hope of being rescued from this darkness is if somebody from the outside came in with a light. And John says, there's been an illumination. As he's describing this light, that is the light of man, this light that shines in the darkness to set us free from the darkness and bring us back into relationship with God. He describes, well, these pronouns. He describes the light as a person. 
And that person is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Taking that metaphor towards hope. Jesus coming in on the first Christmas, he came in to illuminate our darkness. This is what Jesus coming meant. This is what Christmas means. Jesus is God's illumination. God sending his son Jesus on a rescue operation to free us and deliver us from stumbling around in the dark. He goes on a a step further to explain this with something called God's incarnation. God's incarnation. He says, this God, verse 14 says, the word, notice this, became flesh. This is Christmas. The light came. How? Well, it says here that this word, this God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, this is the miracle of Christmas. The word incarnation can be kind of maybe like a psyching out sort of theology word, but the key idea there is incarnate, carnate, where you may be more familiar with, um, like me, a carne asada, tacos, okay? Um, Meat is the idea, or carnal, you might think of that. The idea here is that God, on a rescue operation to illuminate our darkness, he became flesh. He became meat. He came in the form of even A fetus who would develop by the power of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary's womb and then would be born into a poor family, an immigrant poor family on the outskirts of Jerusalem. He would cry coming into this world. He would step into history. Now, this is so much more than just some theology. This is personal. This is showing us who God is and what he's like. God couldn't have come any closer than the person of Jesus Christ. It says he dwelt among us. I love the message version. It says that God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He became our next door neighbor. Do you see the nature of God saying, I'm coming to save you? Coming in the form of flesh. It's the book of Timothy that tells us that God was manifested in the flesh. You've heard the song before, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Well, John would say he was one of us. Not a slob like one of us, but he was one of us through the person of Jesus who is God's incarnation. God became a man to dwell among us, to move into the neighborhood, to show us who God is. It says in verse 14, that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is kind of like foundational Christian theology, this idea that uh, if you want to know what God is like, the best place to look is the person of Jesus. It says in another book of the Bible that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's a tendency for man to try to return God the favor and make him in our image. And say, God, this is what I think you're like. This is what I want you to be like. This is what I would imagine you like. And it's amazing how much that God that we worship is often connected to our own personal values. And often it's been said that usually the God we make in our image, it's surprising how often it looks a lot like us. He votes like me. He loves the people I love. He thinks the way that I think. 
But the Bible doesn't teach that we have the freedom to make God in our own image. What the Bible teaches is that God made us in his image. And that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at the person of Jesus. And here's the best news about that. Yeah, you got to humble yourself to admit the fact that God is not what you or who you want him to be. But God is all that you and I most desperately need him to be. He's all that we want him to be. Maybe you go, no, he's not. Trust me, he is. It says that when we looked at Jesus to look at God, it says there in verse 14, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and true. Jesus revealed God to us. So much so that Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. When you look at Jesus, you see the grace of God. You see the truth of God as God became a man. But it wasn't just through the way that Jesus lived. We need to understand this. We're talking about Jesus' birth. That's God coming into the world as a light to our darkness. And now we're talking about Jesus' life, which shows us what God is like. But there is no greater lesson or sermon that Jesus would give us to teach us who God is and what God is like other than Jesus willingly and willfully going to the cross to bear your sin, to bear my sin. That's what he went and that's what he did. You see, God's incarnation was connected to this, God's initiation. God initiating something that he designed in the first place. See, don't let any religious person trick you to think anything other than what the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches. Christianity is not about a bunch of good people that found their way to God. That's crap. Christianity is about a God who radically pursues people who are running from him. Every single person on this planet. No matter how long they've been in church or haven't been in church, there's, when you get to heaven one day, there's not going to be separated the people that like went to church long. Here they are over here, and they kind of earned their way, and they all got an extra patch. The good people and the bad people. The Bible teaches there's only been one good person. His name is Jesus. For all others have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those who will stand before God one day after they die and have the hope of eternal life are those to whom they have experienced the love of God through Jesus. An initiated relationship. We don't initiate this thing with God. The Bible says all we want to do is get away naturally. So what a demonstration of who God is and how much he loves us. The Bible says that while we were even yet sinning, Jesus died for us. God initiated a relationship. Maybe you're here today and you think, man, I can never become a Christian because i got to fix all these things in my life. That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is not give yourself a bath so that you're clean enough to come to Jesus. It's come to Jesus as you are. Let him make you clean. That's the gospel. That God initiates relationship with those who are wandering from him. John talks further about this initiation, and it's one of my favorite scriptures. It's John 1, 16 and 17. It says, of his fullness we have all received, look at this, grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
So when we see the person of Jesus, we behold that he's this God of grace. But Jesus did not just come to earth for you to see what God was like as a God of grace. Jesus came into this world so that you could receive his grace. That's why he came. I love it. How much grace? Grace for grace. And that can go on forever. It's like grace on grace on grace on grace. That's the idea. Right when you think you got to the end of it, you've only gotten to the start of it, his love. God initiated that. It's the gift of grace. It's the greatest Christmas present you could receive. It's a relationship with God initiated by him. And and how specifically did God do this? Well, we talked about that cross. It was on that cross where Jesus, he was perfect. He lived a sinless life. You and I have failed to do that. We haven't even gotten past commandment one. That shall not have any other gods beside me. Jesus fulfilled every righteous thing. He has a clean record. And with a clean record, he was crucified as though he were a guilty sinner. Even though the court system said we find no fault in him. Scriptures teach that Jesus wasn't the only person crucified. Do we know this? That there was actually two other people crucified on the other side of the Savior that was born and is now dying. But there was something different about that Savior in the middle. His death was unlike the death of those next to him. You see, in Jesus' death, he was absorbing and bearing the sins of the whole world. He was taking upon himself our messed up bad track record. The scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 5 that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. It's called the great exchange or the great switcheroo, whatever you prefer. This idea that God said here, the only way to initiate this relationship, we've done it before with the law. The law was given through Moses, right? That's one way to have a relationship. Obey these rules. Keep these requirements, and then you can be right with me. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's a whole other way to relate to God. Romans 8 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Here's a much better offer. The free gift of the grace of God. The initiation of this relationship that God wants to have with us through the Savior who takes our sin. It's no longer what I do and what you do in order to be right with God. It's what God has done through Jesus to make us right with him. I close with uh, God's invitation. That's what the whole purpose of an initiation is. God demonstrating his love. God making himself known. God wanting us to not stumble around in the dark. God sending his son to reveal what he is like. God sending his son to initiate a relationship with us to the extent that he was willing to die for what we were guilty of. And with that initiation, Jesus also gives an invitation. This God that you, that you were made for, that you were made by, this same God, Jesus, made flesh, this God made flesh, Jesus, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
So my prayer for you as you joined us here for this hour on Christmas Eve is that you would not celebrate Christmas without unwrapping this gift. The gift of a relationship with God paid in full through Jesus. So Christmas is, is all about, so Christmas means. It's the heart of Christmas, this invitation from this amazing God. Now, the Bible teaches this, it this way, that in order to engage and respond, how do I respond to this invitation? What, what does that look like? Well, scriptures teach these two words that help us understand what it means to respond to what God has done through Christ. It's the word faith and the word repentance. Faith is what we all know faith to be. It's trusting in something. So faith in this invitation, you know what it looks like? It looks like you stop trusting in your own lordship of your own life. You stop trusting in being the king of your own life. You stop trusting in trying to be good enough so that God will let you into heaven one day. You stop trying to trust in your track record because you're a little bit better than maybe some of your siblings or your neighbors. And you instead trust in what Jesus did. You trust in him. The Bible says when you put faith in Jesus, you're made righteous, you're forgiven, you're cleansed. And then repentance, you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus and you follow him, you embrace him as Lord. You give him your life and you let him direct your life. You let him be your shepherd. You let him be your rabbi, your teacher. You become his disciple. And so I want to have a prayer up here on the screen that I wanted to have us recite together. This is a prayer of faith and repentance. Now, obviously, we're not twisting arms here. But if the Lord's knocked on your heart and you want to respond to that invitation, that initiation of God's love for you, I'll simply have you follow me as we read this prayer. I'll read it to you first. It says, Lord Jesus, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever dared admit. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I could ever imagine. I thank you for paying my debt on the cross, taking what I deserved in order to offer me complete forgiveness. Knowing that you have been raised from the dead, I turn from my sins and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Amen. So if you feel that, even if you're already a believer, if you'd like to recite this and make this prayer personal, let's go ahead and do that. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever dared admit. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I could ever imagine. I thank you for paying my debt on the cross, taking what I deserved in order to offer me complete forgiveness. Knowing that you have been raised from the dead, I turn from my sins and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we can give the Lord a hand. Um, Jesus was born. As he was born, he lived this perfect life. He initiated a relationship with us through going to this cross. So as we close out this Christmas Eve celebration, we want to remember that cross. We have four communion stations in the back of the room. I want to encourage you, if you're a believer, if you've trusted in Jesus, this is a time for you to go and reflect on what Christmas is really about, what the Savior was born to do. Enjoy Christmas because there's so many reasons to, right? Starting with this, that you and I have been forgiven through Jesus. We've been made right with him. Maybe you're here today and that was the first time you prayed that prayer of faith and repentance, trusting in Jesus. We're gonna have some prayer counselors and just a couple people that just would love to talk with you and just even listen to you. And they're gonna be up here on the front, my, my right and my left here by the stage during this song, if that's you. Um, go ahead and come up out of your seat and go meet and talk with one of them. 
Uh, whatever the case may be, I pray that during this song, you personally respond to what God is doing in your life. Amen.